This is episode number 72 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We drop new episodes every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio, where we bring you the latest and the greatest in internet marketing each and every week. For we free. Yeah, we got a couple twists on how we do it. No pitches, no promotions. We just bring the real, real, what we're learning every week. And we do it while we're drinking. On that note, what are you drinking? I am drinking this week a Conquistador. It's a drink we had locally that I tried to reconstruct with whiskey and some other goodies. But most importantly, which I was quite taken aback by the flavor profile, walnut bitters. What? Those things are delicious. How about yourself? Does that have a does that have mezcal in it? It does. Okay. Mm, I delicious. hate that. No, no, that ruins everything. <laughs> uh, me myself, I am doing a sidecar. Okay. I was witness to a sidecar cocktail making event recently mm-hmm. here in town, so I felt inspired by that. I heard you uh, were on the not wearing enough denim side of the crowd. I was. I was <laughs> not nearly hipster enough for the event I was at. No tattoos and no denim. You're working above on my a waist. waxed mustache, though. <laughs> You're on your way. <laughs> yes. I don't know what it is. It's not a wax. It's some sort of greasy thing I put mm-hmm. in it all the time. It smells <laughs> lovely. Makes it shiny. Oh yeah. All right, let's do the rundown. Let the listeners know what okay. we're talking about on this week's podcast. We're going to get into some email marketing. I think we've kind of gone without some email in our last couple podcasts. So let's return to at least I know something that you really love talking about, some benchmarks and some advice oh, that yeah. we're going to talk about there. And something that we're pretty passionate about because we've had some great success on Twitter ads and some changes that we've seen over there that are coming down the pipe you should really pay attention to. We're going to get into a topic that a lot of people ask us about as a result of some cold sweating nightmares, which is how do I do conversion rate optimization or A-B testing with SEO? And we're going to talk a little bit about that, but more into some other considerations you need to have when you are testing. And it's not always just about having a win, but how do you construct your test to be a holistic player on your website ecosystem? Then it wouldn't be an episode if we didn't get into our Google corner, what's going on at the Mountain View Empire. So Rob, kick us off email. So this is a two-parter. So first I'm going to drop some benchmark stats on you. We're going to play a little game, see if you can lose or how badly you can lose. So I like to look at it. Number two, then I'm going to give you some tips to improve some of the benchmark type stats that people usually use for email marketing. Things like how do I improve my open rate, clicks rates, bounce rates, all of these are sort of hard bounce rates, all of those things. So number one, you have a large list of industries here. Let's pretend you're looking at them. There's about 50 listed. Okay. So in your mind, that gives you an idea of how granular we're getting Mm -hmm. here. In your mind's eye, what industry has the highest open rate for emails? Again, this is from MailChimp, so it's pretty sure. it's pretty wide yeah, yeah, yeah. When you set up a MailChimp account, you tell them what industry you're in. So what would you guess? You want me to just start spot checking, throwing out some samples? Yeah, of give me some industries. samples. So here's an here's a few examples. So one is beauty and personal care. Mm-hmm. One is construction, games, mobile, pharmaceuticals, religion, retail, sports, vitamin supplements. I'm gonna say religion or sports. Religion or sports. So let me look those Maybe that's up cheating. I'll, co- I'll fully the... commit religion. Okay, religion. 22.27% open rate industry-wide. That's a little up there, but we got plenty that are above that. Let me just jump straight so to no the So no divine chase. intervention in those no. email click there. Hobbies <laughs> is the highest one. Oh, okay. Generalized 30.71% open rate. 
Makes sense. For those in the hobbies. We'll play this again. Follow-up question. Which one has the highest click rate? Within the emails. Mm. Mm-hmm. You may be tempted to say the same one, but no. you may or may not be right. <laughs> I would say I'm actually going to go back to sports. Okay. Let's look at sports. Sports, 3.91% click rate. Let's look at some other ones here. Games beats that one, 4.07%. Oh, so pretty close though still. Just going to go back to the hobbies. <laughs> So smokes it again. Man, people really want to know what they're crocheting. Hobbies are where it's at because they, I feel like maybe it's because people don't feel like they're going to be sold to, right? That and perhaps not so much saturation in the market, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's a few quality players out there that are really putting out that content. Maybe also, you know, just our experience in the hobby space feel like they haven't progressed to the spammy nature of things yet. They don't necessarily have their marketing director or whatever who's spewing out just random content on newsletters and things like that, where some of the other industries have gone down that route. So maybe their content is still pretty highly focused and they have very targeted audiences. Agreed. I think all of those things make sense. And also across the board, which are some, there were some other points that were used in this study. So things like abuse rate, unsub rate, hard rate, soft bounce rate, things mm-hmm. like that were included in there and hobbies pretty much across the board was winner, winner of all of those things. I'm not going to play a game on these things, but how much does company size have to do with how good you are at maybe email marketing? <laughs> so 1 to 10 is higher than 11 to 25 and 26 to 50, but 50 plus is better okay. by one full percentage, one and a half percentage points. All right, enough with those boring-ass stats. Tips for improving your stats. I'm just going to go through a couple of these. They have six on here. Of course, we Include will Include a section out. about hobbies, obviously. Next so one. start a website <laughs> about hobbies. That's tip number one. And collect your money. Tip number one, when it comes to subject lines, now this one may be controversial. Boring works best. When you write your subject line, don't sell what's inside, tell what's inside, and do it in a very boring way. I, I don't know. I feel like that's almost maybe debatable. Sure. Maybe overall, that's the best approach to take. But in terms of open rates, I don't know that that's the best thing. Saying something weird and crazy might work better. True. One item you have to be careful of is once you start down a communication path, you can find yourself lacking later on if you start diverging away from it. So if you start with the crazy, are you prepared as a company to keep that up or maintain it? Because not doing so will cause people to maybe miss it or think there's some shakeup at the company or whatever. But I don't know. I feel like I'm inundated with crazy emails. So maybe something seeing something more regular stands out a bit more because there's not a buzzwordy type subject line coming through that it just kind of seems like something I should actually, like it's official, like it's mm-hmm. something I should pay attention to. Right. Me, for the most part, I don't read promotional emails. I don't read emails from people I don't know and trust. So pretty yeah. much I only read emails from you. Well, that, there is a, a trust factor that I think people lack to understand and how much the domain sending the email plays a part Mm -hmm. into that as well. All right. Number two, if you want people to open your emails, you have to get past their spam filters, obviously. Genius. But a few key things. I think this is something that people in their minds know about, but they don't actually know about. Does that make sense? It does. They don't know what they don't know. To quote, I think that was... Hashtag life-changing quotes. But yes, you don't know what you don't know. When it comes to spam filters, obviously a hugely important thing. People recognize that they shouldn't say things like free in all caps and bunch of exclamation points. Do you really think people do? Let's back up. Okay. Let's. I think it depends on your working knowledge in the space. 
there's quite a few people that think if I sign up with someone like MailChimp, my emails are going to get through. Mm -hmm. And I have, granted, a lot of these tools now have checkers for when you're constructing an email and might throw you an error message or guides you along the path. I still think there's a surprising amount of people that think I'm signing up with an ESP and that's their job. So now that I'm going with someone legit like MailChimp, Constant Contact, or whoever, they're going to ensure that my emails come through. I don't think a lot of people observe the rules that we necessarily take for granted on good practice for writing emails. So mm -hmm. maybe people should start there first and, and understand that just because you're using something like MailChimp doesn't guarantee that stuff is coming through the spam filters or not. They're just a delivery mechanism that you know, obviously have relationships with these email providers, but it's still due diligence on your part to ensure that you're following kosher rules. Yeah. Along those lines, this is the third and last one that I will cover. Again, there are three more and we will tweet out this MailChimp article to all the listeners out there. But this one is along those lines. So too many hard bounces is a sign of an old stale list. So in line with spam filters that catch your junky emails as they come in and, and mark them as spam, sending out to a bunch of people who hard bounce or who have marked your emails as spam, all of those things set you up for failure with all the big email providers out mm -hmm. there because they're going to mark your stuff as spam. There's a sort of trust factor that goes into it. And this is something I've been dealing with a lot lately. So I think this is for maybe another episode, but definitely something to keep in mind. Keep your ears peeled. Is that, that's not that's a right. phrase. It's eyes peeled, but we're going to switch it around. Uh, ears tuned. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Ears. Oh yeah. I like that one. Ears tuned in to maybe next week okay. where we'll talk about some of those trust factors with email domains and mm -hmm. IP addresses and all of those things. So I guess emails. the takeaway is paying attention to your stats and trying to understand what might be causing that behavior and how, because I think you bring up a good point. I know we've covered it in the podcast before. There's competing camps out there in the email space, much like traffic to websites. There's quantity versus quality. Yeah. And when you're running a list, it makes sense to have a big list, but as you mentioned, if that big list is full of people that aren't really relevant anymore and can cause you some risk in getting your deliverability, because as you mentioned, people hard bouncing or marketing as spam, those providers pay attention to it and might flag your entire domain as an unreliable sender. So now you've taken Gmail users off the table or you have mm -hmm. to fight to get them back. So you do have to watch those quality measures and understand that in the email space, yes, numbers are important, but who those recipients are are just as important as well. And keeping a quality list is something that you need to be concerned with and continually monitoring. All right, moving on. I think we covered enough on that. Again, we'll probably pick up a bit next week. I wanted to mention very briefly, Twitter ads has seen a refresh of some of their features, some of the dashboard in and of itself. So if you run Twitter ads out there, this is breaking for us right now. We're recording this on a Thursday evening. This just came in hot off the email press from our account reps over at Twitter. Some of the much needed features that people were looking for are out there now, things such as you don't pay per engagement now, which meant someone is just clicking on my tweet itself or clicking mm -hmm. on my handle or clicking on a hashtag I had in there. It's a wide variety of interactions. Right. You can actually set up particular actions that you want to pay for. So I only want to pay when someone actually clicks on my website link and mm -hmm. ends up on my website. Things like that. Or I want to pay for conversions or I want to pay for followers, which they've had for a while. But all of those things have gotten a lot smarter, a lot better and takes a lot of the guesswork out of your Twitter advertising campaigns. Right. That's all I really wanted to cover on that one. Because I didn't actually read the email, but is the reporting going to be updated to let you know how people are getting through as well? 
That's a good question. I mean, mm. I haven't set up a campaign yet to okay. see, but we'll I would imagine it would sort of have to. I do know that all of your old campaigns, you can no longer edit them anymore because okay. they're all based on that old sort right. of method. Mm-hmm. So moving forward, you got to set up new ones if you want to take advantage of these new features. We've talked about it many times on the podcast, but if you're not leveraging Twitter ads, everyone's a little bit different in your company and your demographics, but we found some really good success there. I will say you need to spend some time on it. Twitter is a different animal than most other marketing channels. You have to really think about things differently on how you're going to market to people to be successful. But if you can crack that code, there is many things to be had on that channel. So, uh, well, to- well, and I would also say this, and this is similar to a lot of the social network advertising channels. You actually have to have a real product that people give a damn about. Paid search, you can just advertise anything, but there's a feedback loop in there with sure. social network advertising. So let's move right along. So this is This is something that gets asked quite a bit. We're going to actually take a little bit of a step back and talk more holistically about some other things and how they relate. But there is this conception by many people, and this was spurred on by a blog post over at Crazy Egg, talking about can CRO or A-B testing live cohesively with SEO? Can those two play nice with one another? This is always a question that gets brought up, I would say, at least once in the life cycle of a partner and that doing some A-B testing, the SEO team is concerned or the SEO group that we are going to destroy our rankings and things of that nature. And I got to say, first and foremost, that is a actual valid concern. I think a lot of people divert that risk in saying, oh, well, A-B testing tools work through JavaScript or different methods. So search engine spiders won't actually see this variation, things like that. That is really only a small fraction of the issue at hand and that you need to understand that when you're testing things on your site, at some point it's going to go live and the search engines are going to see it. At that point, if you have created a page that has removed SEO relevant content or items that are weighed in a a ranking algorithm, might have not only just mitigated that six or let's use an agency example, 400% gain (laughs) on clicking on a button with diminishing your traffic 10 or 20%. And people have to understand that with A-B testing, there are other considerations than just optimizing a set action. Your website is a living and breathing item. And there's things that you need to pay attention to and balance within your efforts. And if you don't, then yes, you might have won something for your company, for your department, but ultimately you might have cost your company something much more valuable. Let's say, for example, you run a test on a lead gen page or a page on your website. You increase conversions 10% relative, but you create an absolute difference of maybe a 15% SEO penalty because you've removed a lot of elements from the page. Yes, you have gotten more people to convert at the end of the funnel, But now at the top of the funnel, you're dumping less people in. So Mm -hmm. net, net, you're actually negative. And you have to consider these things when you're doing A-B testing. It's integral that you work together with these different teams. And also you can be a conduit to help them as well. Maybe you want to run a sequential test with the SEO team and try some different things to to see how the ranking algorithms might react and things of that nature. But you cannot think that you operate website testing in a vacuum, not just because maybe there are some circumstances where your testing tool is going to make sure that spiders aren't going to come through and see your test variations. But at the end of the day, if it wins, it's going to go live and you have to think about these things. Another great example, understanding the relationship with AdWords quality score 
and landing pages that you're testing. So I've seen firsthand where a testing team did not pay attention to there's a quality score aspect to PPC traffic. And yes, you might create a more optimized page. This is in air quotes by removing a bunch of items. But now that page might have tanked or been completely disabled by AdWords because you're failing out on your quality score measures. And again, as an A-B tester, you have to consider all parts of the funnel and what the implications are there to be had. So back to your example, maybe for those who aren't as familiar with AdWords in and of itself. So in that particular case, our quality score has dropped. We actually have to pay more for this traffic now. So the conversion mm-hmm. lift that we got has been washed out or right. made worse. So in that example, yeah, it's the same sort of thing you were talking about with SEO. I think another issue when you were talking about eventually these things have to go live that I've noticed a lot with smaller companies or companies who have dev teams that are just overwhelmed is you'll run a test and you'll use code to obviously change the website. And after the test is run, maybe you've got a winner, you just implement that JavaScript code permanently and Mm -hmm. just let that roll and be changing your website. Now that I think is a good temporary fix while your dev team rolls things out live. But there's a potential SEO penalty. you're also looking for a new dev team. Right. Well, there's also a potential (laughs) SEO penalty there because now you're sort of cloaking content. Right. Uh, You're showing different content to the Google bot than you are to actual visitors. And depending on how intense your test was, if it was a total reskin redesign, they may get you into some trouble with Google. Or the delayed impacts. You might implement it later on and the search engine optimization team might be scratching their heads why are our rankings all of a sudden plummeting? And you think, well, it wasn't testing. We wrapped up that test a long time ago. Well, that's because you didn't actually push that information live to where spiders could see it for months later down the road. So again, your website is a living, breathing thing. And when, to be clear, we're not discouraging people from A-B testing. We obviously think it's great and do it all the time, but you cannot think of yourself as just a siloed single group that can operate separately from one another. It takes talking with these teams and have an honest discussion to see what the impacts on different places can be. Moving right along, let's talk about some PPC and what are some tips to get those click-through rates even higher on your ads within PPC? Right. So this is an article from Unbounce and basically it's a few key tips on how to increase your click-through rates on your PPC ad copy. But I think that a lot of these things will apply beyond just PPC. Mm -hmm. I think some of these can apply directly to landing pages, but also to any of the other ad campaigns you're running, be it Twitter campaigns, Facebook campaigns, LinkedIn, wherever else you're buying, you know, display ads. There are some key things in here that I think a lot of people forget about when they run their ad campaigns. All right, number one is avoid choice fatigue. Now, how they describe this is the example, the specific example they give is advertisers using dynamic keyword insertion on a particular search phrase where everyone is using dynamic keyword insertion. Mm -hmm. And in that case, basically all the ad headlines are the same. So, you know, that doesn't, everyone has sort of talked about dynamic keyword insertion, at least historically was a good bet. Not if everyone else is doing it. And I think that this was in the one in particular that I felt applied across the board to every other ad campaign you're running. Don't simply set up a Twitter campaign or a display advertising campaign, target things and and write your own ads without looking at what everyone else is doing. You don't want to set up ads that look like the three other ads that are in the display bar where you're going to be showing up. 
if you're buying display advertising, you want to create banners that stand out from the website where you're buying that display space. Those are key things that a lot of people sort of forget about. They just use their standard, oh, this is the copy we used on AdWords, so let's just use it on Facebook and it'll work about the same. No, it won't because all the competitors on Facebook are a lot different than Mm -hmm. copy you were competing with on AdWords. So a lot of ad optimization comes down to competing and and looking at what everyone else is doing Mm -hmm. and trying to stand out and be different. It's not just simply optimizing inside that vacuum of here's my five ad copy that I'm trying to test and optimize against, you know, creating a new one. You have to be aware of what everyone else is doing and testing. Number two, don't make empty promises. This is dynamic keyword insertion can get you in trouble with this as well. But another example is, so let's say I, I don't know, I sell any sort of product. Maybe it's a service and I don't use negative keywords properly. People searching for free whatever, and I don't offer a free version of it, can click on my ads and get a little pissed (laughs) that I don't have a free version. You have to be aware of those types of situations that you can end up with, especially when you buy keyword type traffic. Don't get yourself in trouble promising something with a dynamic keyword insertion or using part of a headline that's dynamic keyword insertion that ends up having a phrase in it that's not true. I think this is actually a classic example too of one of the things that we just talked about with the AdWords disconnect with A-B testing. So if you're running a test on your website where some of these things might be changing, whether it's subscription amounts or what you're giving away or the product that you're selling as part of your lead channel or whatever it might be, if those things don't align, now you are running ads that might have pretty good click-through rates, but you wonder why the conversion rates are tanking, and that's because there's a disjointed experience. You're making empty promises in your ad, not necessarily because your company can't fulfill it, but you're now changing the website experience and not taking into account these PPC efforts, and now you've made an empty promise. So just be careful as you have these dynamic sites, taking into account your other marketing channels and making sure that that visit is consistent all the way through that messaging. This is something that I've consistently run into when I work with companies that have affiliate programs. Affiliates love to sort of oversell what the products they're sort of pitching can do or the fact that they're free, even though they're kind of free trial type thing and and really stretching those boundaries. And a lot of those things can get you into trouble with your visitors and customers. A couple more things I wanted to talk about. And I don't think this one in particular is an issue as much today as it used to be in the past, but stop judging ads purely on the click-through rates that they get. Obviously, you have to back it all the way out. I mean, what's the actual conversion rate? How much am I making from this ad for every click? Mm-hmm. And is it ROIing properly? You know, back in the day, it was kind of difficult to tie some of those numbers together. But if you have your AdWords accounts and other advertising accounts set up properly with conversion pixels on those things, all the major ones will pull in your actual ROIs on your ads and, and your CPAs. So you can look at that stuff and optimize based on that instead of purely CTR. Last thing I'm going to cover before we move on to Google Corner, is don't forget to pre-qualify some of your ads. You know, everyone always talks about, you know, let's not include prices in our ads because we're not the lowest price and we don't want to scare people away. Well, actually, maybe sometimes you do want to scare some people away. Quality over quantity, like we were talking about. Right. I mean, if you are the more expensive brand in your particular niche, there's no shame in, in trying to scare away those customers who aren't looking for that. Now, there is the risk that you are going to scare away some of those people who would have been willing to pay for that. But again, that's something you need to test. Don't be afraid to test some of those ideas, including prices, including things that 
normally you wouldn't think to include in your marketing efforts because they're trying to qualify your traffic. In paid search, you're paying for every click. Sometimes, you know, it could ROI to actually get fewer clicks, Mm -hmm. but higher conversions on those clicks. There's actually an interesting recent example I had of that where I was working with a company that's looking to do lead gen. So they have some PPC efforts and they found that, well, they changed up some of their advertising messaging and also accompanying messages on the website. They were able to increase conversion. What they were finding is as part of their service, they do a credit check. And what they were finding is they were getting more conversions in, but net net, it was actually the same, but they were getting a much higher credit failure rate. So in fact, they were actually paying more per lead for their qualified. Right, exactly. So yeah, you need to pay attention to where you can maybe increase your conversions or click-through rates, but it's not necessarily the quality of traffic that you want or want to pay for or could actually end up increasing your back-end costs. Or yeah, I mean, it's right up along the lines of keep an eye on your margins too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, sometimes, yeah, we can get a ton more traffic. It's going to eat away at our margins. Let's sit back at a more healthy margin and just deal with fewer sales. The last step I would say in talking about ads and optimizing them and how to make a call if one's performing over another, make sure that you're actually allowing them to sit and collect enough people before you make that decision. I feel like a lot of people rush the gun. And granted, some of the industries that we work in are really expensive. So to tell someone to sit and wait and allow more and more clicks, I can totally understand that's just a lot of money to ask of me. But in dealing in just even simple statistics, you have to really be concerned with, are we making decisions based on conversion rates that are swinging wildly, just based on one or two clicks? Am I potentially knocking out something that could work really well for me just because I haven't allowed it enough time to really be vetted out? If you want to use statistical terms, like your sample size is actually one that's significant enough to make those calls. And sometimes wait before you pause or delete something. Let it run a little bit farther and you might find that some might surprise you in the long term and allowing them some more visitors. So just be careful of jumping to the conclusions too quickly. All right, that's all we got. Hit us with Google. In Mountain View, a couple things we wanted to cover this week that you might have heard, might not have heard. First things first, there is now a new feature in Google Analytics to filter out bots and spiders. Now, the deets on this, there's now an option within your account to scrub out bots and filters, which technically you could have done if you knew what they were and created Mm -hmm. a filter to do it. Now Google is actually searching a database that costs actually quite a bit of money. I believe it's... $4,000 for a subscription or something like that of this internet database of known spiders and bots out there. But now you get that for free in your account and it will automatically scrub your data. Now, before you go and rush, and I know you're clicking away right now, logging into your Google Analytics account, before you even do that, first, create a unfiltered, if you haven't already, profile before you do that so you have a clean data sample. Again, I trust Google. They're smart people over there. But mistakes can happen and you don't want to necessarily turn something on and notice that it's destroying your data. Trust, but verify. There ain't no undo button. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Check it out, bot filtering in GA. It's a nice feature. We'll tweet out a link to it. But now you get access to a great database to help clean up your data, which for some people could actually be impacting their stats and they don't even know it. Moving right along. So there were some whispers of this in the past, some in the woods. Some (laughs) some whispers (laughs) about sites that move to SSL site-wide, where they would actually get a ranking bonus within Google. Well, that's actually now confirmed. Boom. Amazing. 
But before everyone rushes out and buys SSLs for all their sites, which I can give you an affiliate link if you want to do that. <laughs> but before you do that, just you have to have a conversation. This is one of those things, again, where you can't necessarily operate in a vacuum. There are some concerns when you move to site-wide secure certificate that you need to probably talk with your IT team or provider about because, yes, you are going to get a ranking benefit. Google has said it's actually very small. So don't think that you're going to jump up from page five to page two or whatever just by making your entire site secure. What you need to be careful of as another ranking algorithm is also how quick your site is. And when you install an SSL, depending on your setup, that can induce some page load latency that you need to be mindful of. Plus, SSL from an infrastructure standpoint can end up costing you quite a bit of money. So you as a business need to understand is this benefit really going to be worth the entire cost of this effort? And that has to be something for you to weigh. But Google has confirmed they do give you a ranking bonus now. It's very minute, but yeah. it is possible. Well, to it the point there. about costs and speed times, the cloud is so hot right now. Everybody's <laughs> the on hotness. it. The SSL is especially a little difficult on the cloud, too. Mm -hmm. So if you're on the cloud, you're already a little bit slower than most. If you add SSL on top of that, even slower again. So that's another thing you need to consider. Me personally, on our own websites, we just roll with that. I don't care. <laughs> it's not a huge issue in Deal my with mind. It. <laughs> right. But it's something to consider if you rely on a lot of SEO traffic. Last thing we're going to talk about, and this will be really quickly, but was revealed this week that we talked about. There was praises, there was confetti, there was high fives Pop around. Champagne. That authorship pictures were taken off of search engine result pages. However, if the article or the post is from Google+, authorship picture Fuck, remains in your face. So the question then becomes, over time, there was quite a bit of reports out there that said authorship pictures do add a slight benefit in some sectors. Does this make Google Plus a more relevant or valuable social channel now? No. I know what you're going to answer is going to be, but <laughs> you know that's something to consider. Again, we'll tweet out a link, but authorship pictures have been removed from results pages. But if this is a Google Plus content article, your picture or your business picture will still come through within the search engine results and make your content stick out a little bit more. So if it's something relevant to your industry or you know, there might be some additional value now to Google Plus over some other social channels. Again, we'll tweet out the link. Very interesting stuff. Thank you so much it. for spending another week with us. We enjoyed it. If you had a great time. Which we, I know you did because you made it to the end. <laughs> then we'd ask you to please leave a review on whatever channel you found us on. iTunes, Stitcher, greatly appreciate. Helps the show grow. If you have an idea for the show, maybe you sit every week and go, mm, those beer guys, they're pretty smart, but they didn't think about this. Well, why don't you tell us? You can either tweet at us, you can get on thebeardmarketers.com, or you can give us a phone call. Yes, an actual phone call, 904-270-9603. Rob waits by the phone day and night. For all you younger people out there scared to talk to people on the phone, I will not actually answer it. It will go to voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> you can just leave a voicemail. Or you can even text if you're really socially yeah, averse. Me. I might get back to you immediately <laughs> on that text, though. But anyways, give us an idea for the show. Or maybe you're struggling with something as well. Maybe the boss is yelling at you and you don't really know where to turn. We have a lot of experience in the industry. And if we don't know the answer, we can certainly hook you up with someone that can. Also, we're going to be working on some other content. So if you have an idea for a video, if you haven't checked out ours, do so. But we welcome some suggestions there. Again, thank you so much for your time. This is Corey and Rob signing off. We had a great time. And we'll see you next week. Gia. Gia.